have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? I've spent the last six years of my life studying in Bate Midrash, houses of study in New York and Jerusalem. But the Torah that's coming out of Berlin has its own unique power. Volunteers and activists, rabbis and students, the Jews of Berlin have a thirst that cannot be quenched, a curiosity that cannot be satiated. They want to learn and they want to create. The Torah of Berlin is different and strange and the whole idea can be a little uncomfortable, but it's a Torah that draws you in and makes you see your own life and your own Judaism in a whole new way. So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious. Welcome to Torah Curious. I'm your host, Jeremy Borvitz, and I'm here with Berlin's guru of Jewish mindfulness, uh, Martin Schubert. Martin, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, Martin, I was wondering if you could tell me about your earliest Jewish memory. My earliest Jewish memory was actually just indirectly Jewish. Perfect. Because, uh, <laughs> because I grew up um, in Bonn in the mid-80s. I was born in 79. And I remember in kindergarten, it might have been 84, 85, at this time there was a famine in Ethiopia. And the kindergarten teacher, it was a Protestant kindergarten, said that we would pray to Jesus for the people in Ethiopia. And then I came home and told my mother about it. And she said like, okay, little equation here. We pray to God minus Jesus. <laughs> so that was like the first time I understood there's something <laughs> going to be weird <laughs> in the stuff to come. And um, yeah, I think that's my first Jewish memory. Did she explain anything more? Did she like use the word Jewish? Um, I think... Her main narrative was actually quite smart that we don't need an intermediator, hmm. basically. We can talk directly to God. Wow. And um, I'm not really sure how I understood it as a five-year-old, but it always made sense to me ever since. <laughs> wow. It's so amazing because like, before you even knew really about your Jewish identity, you knew about like a deep theological premise of Judaism which is like our ability to directly communicate with God. Yeah, and uh, it, it really talks to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when did you first like learn about like this Jewish thing? <laughs> like when did that come about? Well, I went to Hebrew school. Uh-huh. And... Um, Starting at what age? It was, I think I was eight years old. Okay. And first I was also um, in Christian um, you know, we have we had Christian Religionsunterricht, religious yeah. teaching in, in elementary school. And there, I think I also refused to paint Jesus or something like this. <laughs> I think something like I, I, I drew attention to me. And then my mother came up with this opportunity that you could take religious lessons at the synagogue. And they would count it also in the regular school. Wow. And... Um, then I had Hebrew school for a while, and I loved the stories. You know, it started very, like, basic. You know, it was a story of Abraham, story of Yitzhak, story of Yaakov, story of Joseph. And um, that only stopped when I was 10 years old, because the, uh, the religious teacher of the synagogue was 
in 88 arrested for being a Soviet spy. Wow. <laughs> so of the I, Jewish religious school. Yeah, I mean, I always liked this narrative <laughs> that I learned Torah from a Marxist, but unfortunately, I mean, he was released. He was not guilty in the end. Ah, wow. <laughs> so the narrative is not that perfect. But... Um, yeah. He wasn't proven guilty, you know. It's like, yes. Nah. <laughs> There's still hope. <laughs> wow. Okay, what was the Jewish community of Bonn like? Um, extremely boring, if I may say like this. Okay. I mean, you have to know that um, when you ask nowadays people about Judaism before 1990, you know, you will hear the story that there was this German Judaism and after 1990, 80% came from with a, with a Russian background. But in reality... Uh, before 1990, Jewish life in Germany was very lame. Hmm. It wasn't like, I mean, the, the original German Judaism was destroyed much earlier, as, as we know. Wow, yeah. And many people who were there also didn't have, let's say, German-Jewish identity or something. So what I remember was um, that going to synagogue was never a fun thing. Wow. Um, like, I was used to the security because my father, he was working in the Ministry of Justice... So when I was visiting him back then, it was a time of the a late time of the RAF and this, the extreme left wing terrorism yeah. against the state. So I was used that there were security checks. So, um, but I never had the feeling that the synagogue is something where uh, it's a fun thing. It's something that you pay dues to the past, something like this, and you make a sad face because everybody else has a sad face. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, from an early age, synagogue was a sad thing to you. You know, it was like this thing, oh, we have to do it, we have to go. Um, I don't think it's so dissimilar to synagogues in other places in the world either. Um, when I, so you're living in Bonn, you're, like, going to synagogue sometimes, but it's not a happy thing. You're in Hebrew school with maybe a Marxist. Um, and then at a certain point, you moved to Berlin? Um, this was much later. Okay. Um, so, uh, if you talk Jewishly, the yeah. next uh, um, big change for me um, was when I, when I went as an exchange student to the United States. Wow. For How one year. Real? And there I was in a family which was very open, like a very like a reform Jewish family where being Jewish was fun, you know? <laughs> like, I remember like in, in, in Germany, in the synagogue, whenever there was a bracha, you know, people make a serious face. I came to the States and it was like, rub it up, dub, thanks for the grub. Yeah, God. You know, like, so, and, and things were, were much easier going. And I had uh, Jewish friends. And so this was in my Jewish career, the next step. Wow. And, um, and always also a close connection to Israel because mm. of relatives we had there. Yeah. Did you visit Israel growing up? In 91. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. And... Um, it was, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Like I, since I was 10 years old, I always felt a spiritual connection to God. Uh, I thought myself as a, as a religious person in a way. So even with, when I was there, age 12, and I went to the wall, it was, it was a special feeling for me. Wow. To come to Jerusalem was a special feeling for me. I even took sand from the beach in Tel Aviv and brought it back to Germany because I wanted a piece of the Holy Land. Wow. Like things which are, uh, you know, this is a bit naive, but very genuine love of the Holy Land is something, yeah, yeah which, I, which I did have, yes. Wow. Um, so it's, it's really amazing because you can hear the spirituality from such a young age, which I think is quite rare. Knowing you, I think it makes a lot of sense <laughs> and where you've ended up in your life. Um, 
but it's, I think it's a powerful thing that like your earliest Jewish memory is a theological one. Um, I don't know that. And like, it, it seemed all these stories along the way, there's all these like theological ones. It's like, let's not be sad when we're talking about God. Let's be mm-hmm. happy when we're talking about God. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you returned from the U S what was it like to come back to Germany after that? Jewishly. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, first of all, like, I, I was really like a weirdo when I came back from the States because I was one of these people who, you know, like in the States, I was wearing this hooda, I was wearing baggy pants and, you know, I was speaking like with an American accent. You were like, like deep in mid-90s uh, yeah. culture. Did you have Jenko yes. jeans? I had what? Jenko jeans. They were all the oh, rage in the mid-90s. Probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, my next uh, Jewish experience then was actually when I went to the gym uh-huh. and I met Israelis. Because huh. I was in Bonn, and so there was also an Israeli embassy there. So I met with a few people my age and older who were from the embassy. And they introduced me to a kind of Jewishness I didn't know at all before. Because growing up in Germany, I always thought being Jewish is a bit of low, low-key. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and, um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I still remember the first time... Um, um, there was an, an, an Israeli who wanted to introduce me to self-defense. <laughs> and I said, okay, sure. And I thought, you know, I'd like to do it like the German way. Let's do start with some theory. And he just came and punched <laughs> me right away. And he said, yeah, you have to get used to that. You know? <laughs> and, um, and which was, for me, a very good experience because uh, I was missing that side. You know, yeah. let's say the conscious, proud Jewish side. I'm not saying that it always has that it doesn't have any problems with that come with it. Yeah. When you're too much about this kind of pride. But I think it was important, in addition to also, let's say, the victim narrative that you soak in when you grow up Jewish in Germany, mm-hmm. the other narrative. I think it was a good equalizer there. Wow. Wow. So you're meeting these Israelis, you're hanging out with them. We're like, um, what, other than self-defense, what kind of things did you do with these Israelis? I, I don't want to go too much into detail because, you know, I was 18 at that time. Yeah, sure. And, you know, they were very outgoing and we went to, to clubs and I, and let me put it like this, I enjoyed it to be in a group of self-confident people at that age. Wow. <laughs> and I think I probably profited from it also in some uh, respects. Great, so. great. Uh, thank God for being 18. Yes. <laughs> and thank God for growing up afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at a certain point, you went to spend more time in Israel. When did that happen? Um, that was a time later. It started uh, in the time when I was working as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And I started a lot to, to deal with Jewish topics. Hmm. I mean, actually, I have to tell this story from the beginning. Yeah, because please. It started actually when my father passed away. Hmm. And I was a bit lost and I searched a bit for spirituality. And actually, I took a course in, um, it was right after 9-11, Wow. about Islam and I was very fascinated about the idea of pilgrimage hmm. and the idea of daily rituals but because I didn't really know a Jewish pilgrimage route I went the route of St. James in Spain which is a Catholic route Wow! and I actually went into the cathedral of Santiago Compostela with the keeper when I finished <laughs> Wow! Like, like, the weirdest thing what know, did they say? Fear, fear and loathing in Las Vegas <laughs> yeah. so um, and uh, afterwards um I was really fascinated about rituals, and one of the people I met in 2005 already was Matis Yahu, wow. who was starting this career of, let's say, combining Jewishness with, let's say, a very light, relaxed lifestyle that yeah. I also had at that time. 
So, um, where did you meet him? Uh, I was interviewing him. Ah, wow. And this was at a hotel close to Gendarmarkt. Wow. And because he wasn't in Germany, he wasn't really big, right? So, yeah. I met him and he had back then his first child. Uh -huh. And he was very Hasidic. You know, later he, he uh, turned around from yeah. that. And um, so, we talked about like, where he would get kosher food. And I talked with him and we spent like an afternoon together. And I was very inspired that all of this what i was searching for during the pilgrimage or in rituals was existing in judaism as well yeah so i got a little bit into this kind of thing i started doing tefillin i uh i studied the book of tanya because of matisyahu <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds weird i wouldn't say that matisyahu wasn't the one who brought me you know to spirituality because that i had yeah. earlier but i didn't find any of this before i think you have to grow up probably in new york to yeah. do something like Matisjahu, hmm. to think that you combine, you know, like in, in the 1980s in Germany, in the synagogue, nobody would have thought about reggae. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, um, let's combine reggae and Hasidus. <laughs> Honestly, hmm? two things you would never have found in a German synagogue in the 1980s. Yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah so, um, so I started getting into this, and then also I started going to Jewish events, uh -huh. meeting people. I also had a, a girlfriend there who was observant, hmm. and um, so I had the idea of doing um, Aliyah, hmm. and um, moving to when, Israel. Yeah, yeah, and then a, a long story short, because um, <laughs> I don't want to go too much in detail there, but I went then to Swat. Uh -huh. And uh, I had a wonderful spiritual experience. Yeah, one of the biggest spiritual experiences of my life when I went to the uh, mikvah of the ha of the Haari. Yeah, wow. And I remember that because you know the the image of let's say Hasidic Jews. You, I always thought about it, about the city to see them in mm. cities. So when you come to Swat and you see the nature, the forest. Yeah. And you see like Hasidic Jews walking through the forest. It's something which is a bit surreal. It seems at you first. Yeah. And. Um, I went to this uh, um, mikvah and I went out of it right before Shabbat and I really felt glowing, glowing with Jewish spirituality in a way. Wow. So that was a great experience. But um, the moment there, I think I turned around again, was when they promised that I would be introduced to like the holiest man of Swat or something, uh -huh. some Hasidic rabbi. And, um, and you know that uh, because I was very spoiled already from having my father as a mentor, and, and intelligent uh, people saying smart stuff around me. So when I heard about this uh, most holy man of Swat, I was expecting like a Gandalf, you know, who would really, you know, uh, uh, tell me something very special. And he just pointed at a place where they were building uh -huh. and said, I bless you that this could be your house in Israel with a Jewish wife. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Um, it's not really like, you know, I also grew up in Berlin, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, the, uh, for me, the most, um, what I wanted to hear at that point. I mean, I think, what they, do you think you wanted to hear? Like, what could um, he have said to you that you would have been like, wow, this is my guy. I mean, probably about the five levels of the soul in Hasidut, mm. you know, and in how much of spiritual insights you can gain in Judaism. I think that I would have liked to hear. I'm not, I'm not sure if I would have understood everything back then. And I also have to think that to bless somebody, to have a happy family, is a very intelligent blessing. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong there. I'm just saying back then, I didn't have this feeling. And also then, to be honest, um, you know, in Swat, 
it was they were very very orthodox yeah and every time it also raised the question you know when people said okay the names and uh, have a, like you know it was like I don't know Shimon Greenstein, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Levi Iselstein, uh -huh. Martin Schubert. You know, <laughs> there's like this little silence, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of like when you, you make this intro to uh, to Torah Curious and you say maybe it feels a little uncomfortable even. Wow. <laughs> I think this is what they felt always yeah. with the name Martin Schubert. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a Hebrew name? Um, another big question, I think, because my mother is called Mini Lipke, she has still has a Yiddish name. Hmm. And my, uh, after my um, grandfather, it would be, I guess, no, Shimon. But um, it was for me always a bit difficult because my father's not included in it. My father was hmm. not Jewish. So uh, I call myself uh, Yosef Ben Leftahor because the name of my father was Reinhardt. Yeah. And I always identified with the Joseph story. And so it's kind of like a Cat Stevens, Joseph Islam kind of Jewish name. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but wow. is, is this the one that I give? I don't, I don't know. Like, um, I had a discussion back then with the, with the rabbi and said it's not really possible to, to, to make that kosher, this change by myself. But uh, yeah, let's say it's a, a disputed territory. <laughs> <laughs> but Joseph is your name. This is the one that I, that I took. I think yeah. I used to, like, you know, I had this thing done when I was 28. Um, I, I uh, the second Brit Milah, you know, because uh -huh. my first Brit Milah was not uh, religious. It was medicine, uh, like, not, not medicine. In the hospital, was, yeah. In a hospital. Yeah. With a, with a Jewish doctor and for spiritual reasons, but, but not. Wow, that's um, amazing that they did that. Yeah, this was the bond of the early 90s, my friend. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I mean, it's amazing that even when you were born, Ah, your first one was not when you were born. It was I, in was, the 13. Early 90s. I ah, was thirteen. Ah, okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a bar mitzvah! <laughs> Let me tell you, that was the bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. And so, um, so they take this drop, right? Yeah. And for this, the Jewish name was needed, mm -hmm. and that was uh, Shimon ben Minidipke. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Wait. Um, so why did you switch to Yosef from Shimon? Because. Um, it's a, this is a very emotional question for me. Yeah. Uh, I think when you come for from a mixed marriage, yeah, you look for things which talk to your wholeness. Mm. And because the Joseph story always played a big part, first of all in Hebrew school, then wow. also later, my father was a big fan of the book Joseph and his brothers from Thomas Mann. Wow. And he always told me this is literature. This is like the state of mind a person has to reach. And um, and later. I, you know, shortly before this led to my Brit Milah, kind of, that we went to Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dream. <laughs> of the, it is, it is, it, so, it sounds funny, but I always had the feeling that in the Joseph story, everything comes together. Wow. And, um, and also, uh, Joseph, you know, in his way of growing up in Egypt, it was always, he's, he, like, he, he knows what it's like to grow up in Germany, you know? Yeah. He was, uh, he was not one of those people who always had the tribe behind them. He was somebody who was a bit of an outcast. Yeah. And that's something I always very much identified with, yeah. Wow. I have to say, the level of intentionality that you bring to your Judaism is extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it's one of the things that's most special about you and your approach, which is like every little thing that, every little thing that you do in your Jewish life, you're like trying to think about what's the purpose there. Um, and I think, I think that's very rare. 
you know? I think it can be also um, too much sometimes because I know people who come from a mixed background who just decide on one and they don't make such mm. a big um, thing. But uh, for me, for some reason, I take these things very serious and very personal. Hmm. And it also works. Like, I think I didn't make my, make very easy for myself. But in the end, you know, I saw the, the dawning. You know, I was wrestling with the angel, but there was the morning that came, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Okay, so when, when did you get into the world of mindfulness? Um, I went to Nepal uh -huh. with my wife uh -huh. um, in 2013 with the Tablet Zedek program. Wow. And Can you give us like just 20 seconds on the program? Because it's a great program. The, pro the program is about um, Tikkun Olam, doing good in the world under a Jewish umbrella. Mm. So there are many for Israeli NGOs who do great stuff in the, in the world. Tablet Zedek has, has these two columns of Jewish identity and doing good in the world, which probably always talked to me because... I always, everything was interested, interesting for me, which also gave something to the outside world. Yeah. And, um, and there um, we happened to stay in the foothills of the Himalayas with the mm. Taman, wow. which is a tribe of a, a shamanist Buddhist background. And there I felt, I, I also, sometimes I did the, the drush on the Shabbat dinners. We had Shabbat dinners there. Yeah. Very modest, you know, eating rice and lentils on the ground. And there were people from Hindu background, Buddhist background, Jewish background. And I was always trying to combine everything. You know, I would wow. talk, I don't know, on the parasha of Noah. And I would uh, combine it with, with, you know, so everybody felt comfortable there. Yeah. And so I really got into it. And um, I feel that, I don't know if it's the mountains and the ma ma majestic stillness. I mean, after all, we also received the Torah on, on, the, on the mountain, right? Yeah. Um, or, and the, or this and natural... by the way the Moses went up the mountain but the people were at the foot of the mountain yeah <laughs> and or um, to see this village where they didn't have anything in material wealth but they had their customs hmm. which is about the strength of stories wow and and this got me really into the ideas of Tibetan Buddhism as well as also Hindu ideas Wow. So I, I was never a, a Jubu or something, because um, a Jubu kind of limits himself to Judaism and Buddhism, right? Mm. And for me, it's more of finding truths and finding the sparks wherever I find them. Wow. And, um, and so then I understood that uh, afterwards, when I came to the West, if I want to work in this field here in Germany, I need a license. So I got a yoga teacher's training. And, um, and since my wife and I both had this mission, we did it together. Wow. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how it came. But the idea of spirituality, I, always, I mentioned before when I was 10 years old, I already had this feeling. It's interesting because the best person who described it was Sigmund Freud, who was an atheist. Hmm. He wrote this essay, Das Unbehagen in der Kultur, the, um, something like uncomfortableness in, of the modern culture or something like this. Hmm. And he said that he doesn't have any religious feeling, but he understands people who describe it, describe it talk of an oceanic feeling. Wow. And this feeling I had early on, this connectedness of everything. This, you know, I see here Jeremy in front of me, I know I'm Martin Schubert, and there is, we have separate existences, but 
on a different level, it's also all flowing. And this is something which I've always had with me, why I think I have a bit of this organic spirituality. Yeah, I mean, first off, I'll say of course you do, because when you were five years old, your mother told you you had a direct path to God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I think that that, I can't get that part of the story out of my head, because it's like, what a powerful thing to say to a child. Um, What an empowering thing to say to a child. Um, I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what uh, the, the Jewish meditation we've been doing at Base Berlin, because I will say... Rebecca first had the idea, and I was a bit skeptical, and I am now your biggest convert. Um, uh, so can you tell us a little bit about wh- what kind of Jewish meditation we've been doing here? So um, I think that there are different paths to Jewish meditation. And uh, what really talked to me is this idea of the five levels of the soul, mm-hmm. because it has a direct... Um, I would say equivalent to other teachings that I was mm-hmm. doing in yoga and I found it in a Jewish source. Yeah. So through this, you know, and then of course there are things like uh, in Tikkun Zoha 17b, the idea that Eliyahu gets revealed where the Svirot are in the human body. So these are all sources to use. Um, I think in nowadays in Jewish meditation, Jewish yoga, there are usually two major streams. One stream is the idea that it's Jews coming together as Jews and doing yoga without mm-hmm. connecting it. Or, and this is where I am, to find in a way to, how do you say, to find, to find a way to rejuvenate also Jewish spirituality. Rejuvenate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, after all, I mean, this is something which is inherent to Judaism, yeah. right? I mean, um, the Rambam brought a little bit of Aristotle to Judaism, Right. And um, I have to say one of the, the last most recent meditation cycle has actually been my favorite mm-hmm. um, because what we did is we've taken the Amidah prayer yeah. um, and we've looked at the first three prayers and the last three prayers of the Amidah and we've done meditations on each of those prayers. Um, and it has been so influential to my own davening, to my own prayer, wow. um, to the extent that uh, when I'm saying the first prayer of the Amidah, I try to imagine my ancestors hugging me which was something that we did in that first meditation. Wow. Um, I don't do it every time I say Yamida, uh, but a couple times a week I do it, and it's very powerful. It's, um, it's amazing. Yeah, but this is also, I think, the ideal case that, uh, because you know that when you say something like meditation, yoga, there's always a bit this uh, idea of bringing an alien fire, right? Yeah. This idea of, of Nadaf and, and Abihu, yeah, right? Wow. And bringing yeah. an, an alien fire. And so... Uh, in this case of the Amidah, what I think really worked well is that you say, no, there's nothing to change, but we make it more intense, what we feel. Because for me, it's like this, when I go to Shul and the Amidah is prayed and I try to really read with Kavanah, I'm at 30% when already then the Chazan continues. Yeah. And I always feel like it's like when they're on, on the Audible app of Amazon and they put the speed to 2.5, you know? <laughs> it's like, how, how do they do that? You know? Yeah. So... I also see, uh, see the beauty that you always say every single word, you know, and, yeah. so, and you say it sometimes quicker. You know, you cannot always have full Kavanah. But I liked about this cycle that what you said was exactly the perfect outcome, that you say the Amidah and you think about what we went through yeah. in this cycle. 
And this brings the spirituality into the practice. Yeah. And this is really the ideal case. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's this constant debate in Judaism of keva versus kavana. You know, the set practice versus the intentional practice. Yeah. Um, and it's like, we're looking for both. You need both. You need uh, both. And like, sometimes the ritual is going to mean nothing. Um, but it's by doing it all the time that you can allow it to sometimes mean everything. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's like a really powerful thing. Um, mm. Cool. Martin, I think you've, uh, you have a bit of Torah to share with us, uh, <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah, I think um, I mentioned before the Joseph story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as you know, I also do storytelling workshops. Uh-huh. And when I do those workshops, there's one perfect example for the perfect story. And this is the Joseph story, and especially the ending. Like, if you remember, in the end, the brothers come to Egypt... Joseph, after a while, reveals himself to them. Mm-hmm. Then Yaakov comes to Egypt. And at some point, Yaakov dies. And then the brothers, they are afraid. They think, mm-hmm. now that the father is gone, you know, and we're here in the Middle East, now maybe Joseph will take revenge, right? Yeah. And Joseph replies, my brothers, if you think, you know, I would take revenge now, you don't understand what God meant. Wow. Which means the story is made holy. It's not, and this is something, you know, sometimes I, I grapple with the story of Purim, you know, when, when we celebrate that it turned around and the others were killed, or even the thing with the firstborn and Pesach. These are things that I have to admit, they go very close to me. Yeah. And, and the, the most, can I say the most awful thing in Torah for me? Yeah, please. This is Pinchas, where basically, it says wow. that the holy wrath, somebody, I mean, I know that there are people who are... The story of Pinchas, he sees some people having sex outside the tent, the holy yeah. tent, and he kills yeah. them. And, and this is something where I really have issues with. But the Joseph story is the perfect story. Wow. Because the story is the holy thing. And this is something which goes throughout into the narrative, narrative into the book of Exodus. Because mm. if you look at the Joseph story... First, he gets sold into slavery, a down, but it turns into an up because he ends up in Egypt in the house of Potiphar. Hmm. Then he gets accused by the wife of Potiphar, downer, in the prison, but he is in the prison of the Pharaoh, right? And because he's in the prison of the Pharaoh, he goes, gets moved up. And then he has this position in Egypt and says, okay, build storehouses. This is an up, you know, hmm. there come the seven fat years, they store. And then the seven bad years, and, and Pharaoh gets uh, um, um, the power because people, you know, they, are, they lose their stuff, have to go to Pharaoh. And this has a downer because later it's the Israelites who have to build those storage houses, right? Yeah. As slaves. So, and, and this is now where basically the Dvar Torah is going to in our session here. <laughs> because in Exodus 5.13, there is this... Uh, um, the quote, Dvayom Beyomo, which wow. means Moses was at the Pharaoh, demanded the freedom, and Pharaoh made it harder. He said, build my storage houses. You know, remember yeah. those storage houses are there also because of Joseph. And to each day's measure. And he made this measure higher. Dvayom Beyomo. And as you know in Torah, the, the words are not chosen by accident. Yeah. And you know when those words come again? No, I don't. Just a few chapters later, 
in Exodus 14, 6. And then it's huh. about the manna. Wow. Because remember, what is the thing of the manna? You cannot store it. Yeah. It's the opposite of the storage house, right? The manna, you have, it's, on, it's on the same day. Yeah. You cannot store it. And it says, Dvayom Biyomo. And Fridays. So, and it's not the only thing about the manna. It's also that the measure of a manna is one omer, right? Yeah. Which is put into the tabernacle also. Hmm. Wow. So, which means that through this story of up and down, starting with Joseph, in the end, the Talmud says, the Torah could not have been given as to the eaters of the manna. Huh. Right? Yeah. So, through this story, of which, which is about the slavery and about what Pharaoh makes them, you know, and, and the Torah is the anti-Egypt, right? The anti-Israel. We get a measure for what we really need. And this takes us back, you know, the, the connection back to the, the Garden of Eden. You yeah. know, in the Garden of Eden, it's kind of this hunter and gatherer thing. Yeah. Everything is there, no thinking. And we have to leave the Garden of Eden. We get conscious of time, of mortality, which is the idea of agriculture, right? You have to calculate the seasons. Yeah. And you start hoarding. And the limit of this is a slavery. Wow. You know, and when, when, when you build for the storage yeah. houses, and from this comes the only measurement that the Torah really knows for those things, the one Omer, manna, what a person needs for a day, which brings us back in a way spiritually to the hunter-gatherer paradise. Wow. Wow. And this is for me the most yogic idea, the idea that it is the absolute moment, hmm. the absolute spirituality. Dvayom beyomo. Yeah. Turned around into into the idea of redemption. Wow, and it's also Dvayombiomo is double what you need. You know, it's like more than what you creating more than what we need. Which is this there's also this tension here between sort of like our base humanity um and like uh, our spiritual selves as we expand. Like spirituality is beyond the physical needs. Like it's a luxury of the of the modern world that we can endeavor in spirituality. We're not constantly searching for like our next meal. Um, mm. And it's like, what is the Dvayom Biyomo of today? Um, perhaps mm. to a certain extent, the, the way that you bring together your sort of Eastern mindfulness with Jewish practice is your Dvayom Biyomo. It's like, no, I'm not just taking the one, I'm taking these two and I'm bringing them together. And it, it's an abundance um, that's really enriching us. I like that. Yeah, uh, it's yours. I'm just saying it. Um, I also, um, I love this idea of the ebbs and flows, the up and down. I think that's like uh, what sticks with me most from what you said mm -hmm. in the Joseph story. Um, do you feel like your own life is like that? Wow. I mean, this is getting deep here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it is Torah curious, you know. I've heard the Torah from Berlin. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, um, well... Definitely, definitely. I mean, in a weird way, in a painful way, mm. and in a way that I don't want to admit to myself. Like, mm. for example, I mentioned the passing of my father. You know, there is this contradiction of, for me, the, the, my father was, it was the most painful loss of my life. Yeah. And still knowing, in a weird way, that afterwards I became more independent. Yeah. Before, because my father, he held the world together. Mm. And in a way, I had to start holding the world together myself afterwards. Wow. And this is, this is painful because 
it, it, it was for me an up in terms of independence, of becoming who I am. But of course, it's connected to the biggest pain. Yeah. Right? And, um, and then this goes through, through life. I mean, we are both men, but probably it's also when a woman gives birth, right? That it's probably the biggest pain. Yeah. And then the biggest joy, right? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and this idea of turning weaknesses... Uh, there's actually this book about the Israeli startup culture yeah, called Startup, startup Nation, Nation yeah. where it's called leapfrogging. That in Israel, yeah. they never had anything that they really needed in order to proceed. So they always needed to turn some kind of weakness into an advantage. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, I think um, there's truth to that. Yeah. It's also... I. I, we were talking before we started recording that I uh, I had uh, this week started as a great week for me, and its ending is kind of a difficult week. Yeah. So I'm feeling this like high and low very acutely. I want to be able to turn these weaknesses into a positive, mm-hmm. um, and I think a part of the struggle of modern spirituality is figuring out how to do that. You yeah. know, I want to be. I think a part of it is just by showing vulnerability. Um, and admitting it, but I, I want more out of it. Like I've had a, a lot of like bad stuff has happened to me in the past yeah. year and a lot of amazing stuff has happened to me in the last year. Um, I think it, especially the last two years, you know, um, like my daughter was born and then seven weeks later I was in a terrible bicycle accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and I broke both my arms and all these things. And it's like with the, so often the very good and the very bad seems so inextricably linked to each other. Um, and I think that's true in the Joseph story. Yeah. All the bad stuff that happened to him was so tied to all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just the idea you're thrown into prison, yeah. but it's the prison of Pharaoh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, but really for me then the most powerful thing is the idea of the Torah was given to none but the eaters of the manna. Mm-hmm. And the manna is the turned around Egypt, the turned around wow. daily slave duty. Yeah into basically the, the purest spiritual message I know. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> Martin, thank you so much for uh, sharing so much with us today. My it's been really powerful. Um, there's, a, there's a spirit growing in the room right now. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we part? No, I, I, would, I just hope that I would hear you live saying this is a Torah from <laughs> because this is so hamut. I, I have to admit, it's pre-recorded. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but just for you, have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? I'm melting. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And uh, um, if you're ever in Berlin on a Tuesday night, come join us for uh, Jewish Meditation with Martin Schubert. Well, that's it for another episode of Torah Curious. Torah Curious is a project of Base Berlin, the home of a rabbinic couple in the heart of Berlin's Kreuzberg neighborhood. Huge thanks to Martin Schubert for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Martin, or even to meditate with him, you can check out our Zoom quarantine events on our website, basehillel.com. De. Big thanks goes out to Rabbi Rebecca Blady, Valentin Lutzet for the cover art, Alex Segura and Takayasuzawa for the cool tunes, John Earl for retelling the Joseph story, and our friend in the Bay who made this all possible. In the meantime, 
keep learning, and stay curious.